bench and may be seated. How many people are ready for God's Word? Come on, are you ready for God's Word? Well, a loud shout-out welcome to those that are watching online uh, here in our city, around the world, in our country, and in our province. We are so honored that you've joined in today. We are starting a brand new sermon series next week that we're calling Unlikely. And we're going to explore for four Sundays some unlikely stories in the Bible. You're not going to want to miss the next sermon series. But today we're going to conclude our sermon series that we've been calling God Didn't Say That. And we've been exploring some sayings that we use that we think are in the Bible, like we're quoting God, but we're misquoting God. I want you to pull out your sermon outline. It is on the back of your bulletin, and you will discover that we are exploring that God didn't say it, saying God won't give you more than you can handle. I've said it. I've had people tell me what they're walking through, and it's heavy, it's deep, it's dark, it's difficult. And I said, well, we know God won't give you more than you can handle. And it sounds like it's in the Bible, but it's not. And the truth is, God will often give you more than you can handle. But the fact is, God will never give you more than he can handle. God can handle what you're walking through, and he will be with you. But we will often face stuff beyond us, way beyond us. Like we're way over our head in what we're walking through. But God will never give us more than he can handle. Well, today I want to explore an amazing account in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 36, down to verse 46. And this is the story where Jesus is entering into the Passion Week, and he goes to the Mount of Olives, and at the base of the Mount of Olives is the Olive Garden. Now, please don't be confused. That's not a restaurant. The Olive Garden was actually a garden with olives in it. It's at the base of the Mount of Olives. Jesus often went there to pray. And it's often been called Gethsemane. You might have heard that name, Gethsemane. And Gethsemane simply means, when you study it in the original language, it means the oil press. And many believe that there was oil presses there where they would take the olives off the olive vine and they would put them into the press and they would crush the olive to squeeze out the oil. And so Gethsemane means the oil press. It was a crushing place. And when you read the Gospels, Jesus often went to Gethsemane to pray. It was his place of prayer. And so today I want to explore six things about this place of prayer. Six things that can help us understand that God may not, God will give us more than we can handle, but he never gives us more than he can handle. And so I want you to take notes. And the first thing I want to offer to you, number one, is that Gethsemane is actually a place of support. Number one, a place of support. And I want you to notice in Matthew 26, verse 36, and and sometimes we overlook it, but it tells us that Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus didn't go alone. He brought the disciples. He took those that he had done life with for three years. He brought the boys. He needed them to be with them in this difficult journey as he was beginning the Passion Week. His heart was heavy, and he was walking through this, getting ready for this, and it was hard, and it was difficult, and he needed his disciples with him. The truth is, if Jesus needed the disciples with him, how much more do we need the body of believers with us? Now, this morning, I'm going to unpack with you some stories, real stories from my life, my family's life, and a little from Evelyn's family life of challenges and mountains and 
most difficult moments that some people in our family have walked through. I think back in Evelyn, it might have been 10 years ago. I've, I've lost track of time, but I remember the day. It was a Saturday. It was the Saturday before Christmas. And we were doing the Christmas hampers, and people were here. We were packing groceries and getting the turkeys ready to deliver to homes. And Evelyn called me and shared something that was so difficult. She had come from a family of 12 children. And her one sister has a daughter, Evelyn's niece and husband, moved to Atlanta, Georgia. They took a job there and attending Assemblies of God Church there. And we've been down there to visit them. They had two young children. And we begged them to come up for Christmas. Oh, you got to come home for Christmas. We're all getting together. And so they decided to come. And on that Friday night, they're driving during the night. And they're in Ohio, and they're coming up the interstate. And Evelyn's niece is driving, and she's tired, and she fell asleep at the wheel. And the vehicle began to swerve, and her husband wakes up, and he grabs the wheel to, to rectify it. And, but it seemed to swerve more, and the vehicle rolled and rolled and rolled. And after the vehicle came to a stop, and here's Evelyn's niece's husband. His back is broken, and he looks into the back seat. There were two car seats, but one was empty. And their one child, their oldest child, probably three years of age, I'm not even sure the age, had wiggled out of his car seat in the journey, and he was thrown out of the vehicle. And so my niece's husband crawled out with a broken back and walked or crawled down the road and picked up his boy who was now dead. And he's carrying him as he's crawling on the road to get to a house and for them to call 911. And as I fast forward, I, we found some phone numbers and Evelyn's niece is in one hospital in one city or one town and, and the nephew or her husband's in another hospital somewhere else and one of their children is dead and the other one is, is in another hospital. And you can only try to imagine what they're going through. And I'm talking to Evelyn's niece and she said, Uncle Mark, I killed my boy. I killed my boy. And I didn't know how to respond to her, you know, no, no, you, you know, I'm just trying to help her. And then, and then I, I call her, her husband who's in another hospital and, and he's broken and he's weeping. He said, Mark, I don't know how we're going to get through this, but we're going to, we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. People in their church in Atlanta, Georgia, got in their cars and drove to them and supported them and helped them in their journey and walked them through this darkest, most difficult road. And I can't even try to imagine what it would be like to have to bury your three-year-old son. But they made a decision very early in the journey. And they looked at each other and they said, we are not going to blame each other for this tragedy. We're going to look to God. And their church family supported them, made them meals, and, and their connect group, and the people that they were doing life with were at their house like 24-7 and supporting them in their journey. Fast forward 10 years, obviously their heart is still aching, and obviously they still miss their son, but they're going forward for Jesus. They're serving in their church. They didn't run from God. I'm here to say to you, when you walk through your most difficult moments, don't run away from God. Run into the presence of God Almighty, and God will help you in those difficult moments. But sometimes you need God with flesh on. Even Jesus going into the Garden of Gethsemane, he needed his disciples with him. Please don't miss it. 
Number one, Gethsemane is number one, the place of support. Number two, I want to point out to you is Gethsemane, number two, is a place of sorrow. A place of sorrow. And when we read the latter part of verse 36 into the first first part of verse 38, Jesus is now with his disciples in Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here. Will I go over there and pray? I mean, he leaves eight of his disciples at the entrance to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's just there at the base of the Mount of Olives. And he's in the Olive Garden. And he tells eight of the disciples, you stay here. And I'm going over there to pray. And in verse 37, he takes takes Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. This was his inner circle. These were the closer ones to Jesus. Peter, James, and John were with him on several moments when the other disciples weren't with him. And you might have many people supporting you, but you will need an inner circle of people that you will unbear your entire soul to. And Jesus took Peter and James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, and the Bible says he began to be sorrowful and troubled. It means he began to agonize. It means the weight was heavy. And then in verse 38, he said to these, he said to Peter, James, and John, my soul is overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how I'm going to handle this. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. This is huge. This is heavy. And Jesus, the son of God, is unbearing his heart. He is pouring out his heart. He is pouring out his pain. He is pouring out his agony. He is sharing, this is heavy. This is big. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. I want to share with you another story. My dad comes from a family of 10 children. My mom is an only child. I don't have any cousins, obviously, on my mom's side, but I got a lot of cousins on my dad's side. It was in the early 1970s, I think it was 1971, that my grandma and grandpa Scar moved to Florida, and half of the children joined them. My dad stayed in Canada. I'm glad he did. I'm okay. I'm in Canada. I love how many people love Canada. I'm glad I live. Come on, how many people love Canada? I'm glad I'm in Canada. I am. But half of my dad's family moved to Orlando, Florida, and we would travel there many Christmases and often there. In fact, some people say, I hear a little accent in you. And I'm going, that's because I hung out with grandma and grandpa and my aunts and my uncles. But there is one cousin that stands out in my mind in Florida, and he's my age. He's my age. And and, and he, he loves God. He's a believer. He attends a great church in Orlando, Florida. But in the last two years, about a year and a half ago, he went through his darkest, most difficult valley. They have two daughters. And interesting enough is one daughter worked at the Olive Gardens. And she was a waitress there. But there was someone that worked there that began to stalk her. And it was wrong. It was was just horrible. And they shared this news with people and, you know, tried to keep this guy away. But he had things going on in his mind. And a messed up guy, and one day he got into her apartment and hid in her closet. And she came home that night, and she got in bed, and during the night, he snuck out of the closet, and he murdered my cousin's daughter. That's in the last two years. The last two years. 
And he walked out of that place, and he took the gun, and he shot himself in the foot, and he called 911, and he said, I just, I just witnessed a home intrusion, and they shot me in the foot. And the police started to investigate it, and they got surveillance pictures from the local Walmart and saw him in Walmart buying the stuff that he used to murder my cousin's daughter. And as I talked to my cousin, he said, Mark, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. He said, this is horrible. I never dreamt. I've lost my daughter. We can never get her back. He said, but I'm grateful for my church. I'm grateful for my faith in God. God will see us through this. And some of you today, you're like, Mark, I've walked a journey, something like that, and it's so painful. The devil wants you to run away from God on those journeys. But when you're going through your darkest, heaviest, sorrowful, difficult, anguished moment, and you share your heart, please don't run away from God. Run into the everlasting arms of God Almighty who will keep you and hold you and sustain you. I heard a preacher once give a message, and at first I thought, wow, this is not encouraging, but it's true. He said, you're either in a storm, you're enduring a storm, or you're entering a storm, or you're exiting a storm. We all love exiting the storm, but when you exit a storm, there's going to come a day you're going to enter another storm, and you're going to endure another storm, and then you're going to exit that storm. But how many people know God is with you at all times in this? Come on, how many people know God is with you at all times in the storm? in the storms, in the storms of life. Don't hide the pain. Reveal the pain. Don't hide it on the inside. Don't isolate yourself. Jesus unpacked it and said to his disciples, to Peter and James and John, to the inner circle, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is so overwhelmed. Evelyn and I were just young ministers and We're in Bowmanville, and we're early in our ministry. And Jessica, our youngest, was so young. And Evelyn started walking through cancer, and it was heavy, and it was difficult. And I can remember Jessica, as a young little girl, looked at me and said, Daddy, is Mommy going to die? Oh, it was so heavy. Oh, it was so heavy. And I can remember going to a local ministerial with ministers. And I was hurting. And I was broken. And one minister said, I want to take you out for lunch. And he spent hours with me. And I unpacked my heart to him. Church, don't walk your journey alone. You need people to come alongside you. And so we learn Gethsemane, number one, is a place of support. And number two, it's a place of sorrow. But then there's number three. Number three, it's a place of solitude. It's a place of solitude. And I want to take you to the latter part of verse 38 into verse 39. Because in the latter part of verse 38, Jesus said to Peter, James, and John, stay here and keep watch with me. And then in verse 39, going a little farther He fell with his face to the ground. Eight of the disciples were at the entranceway to the Garden of Gethsemane. Three were with him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he left them there. And one one of the writers in the gospel said he went a stone throw away. And he got alone. And he fell on his face before God. He fell on his face before God. My dad's family, ten children. Ten children. I want to talk to you about one of my cousins that I grew up with, and 
they stayed. My dad's one brother stayed in Canada and stayed in, in the city I was raised in. And his one, his son was my age. We went to school together. We, we went to elementary school together. I love to tell you, we never got in trouble, but we got in trouble a lot as two cousins growing up. And fast forward, I'm in the ministry, but I never knew that my cousin had battled mental health issues. He was bipolar, and he didn't know how to find an equilibrium with that bipolarism. I mean, when he was high, when his emotions were up, he would do the extreme things and wrongful things and crazy things and extravagant things. And he made so many wrong decisions in life when, when, his, when he was up there in his bipolarism. But when he was down in his lowest of his lowest, he would slump to the lowest of the lowest. We were in our 40s, and I didn't know Daryl's... I'd lost track of him, but he, on New Year's Eve, could no longer contend with his bipolarism. And on New Year's Eve, he went to the basement of his house, and he took his life. Oh, what a tragedy. And I can remember, Evelyn, we were visiting with your family, and I remember slipping, I can remember like it was yesterday, slipping into another room and talking to my Aunt Ruth on the phone and trying to help her through this. And she said, Mark, this is the worst. This is horrible. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. But she said to me, I get alone with God. And when I get alone with God, he's helping me. And he's helping me. He's helping me. And I'll tell you, church, I'll tell you, church, when Evelyn was walking through cancer, I would get to the office early. I would get into my office early, whether it was here in Ottawa when she walked through it or in Bowmanville. And I'd fall on my face before God. And God would reach down and encourage me. And God would help me. I mean, I sometimes tease people about this because they'll call me on the phone and say, Mark, I need to share something with you. Are you alone? And I go, no, I'm, I'm not alone. And they say, who's with you? And I say, Jesus. Jesus is with me. And they go, oh, come on, come on. No, 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 no. You're never alone. Jesus never leaves you. Come on, Woodfield. Jesus never leaves you. He never forsakes you. He never AWOLs on you. He never bails on you. He never walks out on you. He is as close as the very mention of his name. Sometimes when you get alone with God and you have that solitary prayer, it's the greatest prayer. It's the most strengthening prayer. It's the most energizing prayer. It's the most beautiful time when you, sometimes you've got to go a little farther. Sometimes you've got to pray a little longer and you've got to get alone with Jesus. And so we see that with Jesus. Number three, it's the place of solitude. Number one, the place of support. Number two, the place of sorrow. And number three, the place of solitude. But then there's number four. Gethsemane is the place of struggle. And I want you to look, please, at at verse 39, and we're going to see the struggle. And in verse 39, he starts to pray and pray, my father, my father. And in one of the gospels, it says, Abba, father. And Abba is an intimate Aramaic word that means daddy. I'm glad that God the father is my daddy. I'm glad that Jesus called his father daddy. And some of you, your dad was absent. Some of you, your father was aloof. Some of you, your father was angry. Some of you, your, your father was, was just not there and it was nasty and, 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 and never spoke life over you. I'm here to say God is never aloof. 
He is never absent. He is for you. He is not against you. And Jesus said, my father, if it's possible, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Oh, here's Jesus, the son of God in Gethsemane. He knew what lay ahead of him, but he said, God, the Father, Father, if it's, if it's possible, may, may this cup be taken from me. And the cup speaks of what he was going to walk through. The cup spoke of the suffering. He knew that he was going to be nailed to a cross. He knew he was going to be whipped and scorched. He knew there was going to be a crown of thorns on his head. He knew that he was going to die and and pay the penalty for our sins. The, The cup represented his suffering. Number two, the cup represented his separation. He'd be on the cross and he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, the cup represented separation. It represented suffering. And number three, it represented sin. I mean, he was carrying the sins of all of mankind. And number four, it represents the salvation for us. But Jesus was calling out to the Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. I think it was in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, I know it was in the Gospel of Luke. It says that he, his sweat he started to, to, to bleed forth this sweat that was like drops of blood. I was reading Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. And Lee Strobel interdu- interviewed a medical doctor. And the medical doctor said, sometimes when someone is going through extreme anxiety and huge stress, there's a breakdown in, in the glands. And the breakdown in the glands starts a release at times of, of blood mixed with water. And it's not unheard of when someone is going through a, a, a real stressful, difficult time for, for the glands to begin to break down and blood begin to mingle with blood. And they begin to sweat these drops of blood mingled with water. And here's Jesus under his greatest stress going through this. My father, 10 kids in his family... Half of them are down in Florida. But he had a brother, his oldest brother, who's now in heaven. He was a pastor in the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And his last church that he pastored in Canada was in Brantford, which was like 20 minutes from where I was raised. And sometimes on a Sunday night, we'd go to the Sunday evening service in Brantford. And I'd sit in the church and I'd, I'd hear my Uncle John preaching. And it was kind of cool because Sunday nights, at this church, this Pentecostal church in Brantford, they were live on radio. Those were the days of radio. And I can remember on, on, on the wall, there was this sign that would light up when everyone knew they were live on air. And, and they were live on air when Uncle John walked to the platform begin to preach. And I was just a young boy, and this might not shock you, but I had lots of energy. And I can remember sitting in the service waiting for a lull in his message, and I'd go... hoping that all the world would hear me cough. I was live on radio. Well, Uncle John got the palm tree vision, and he felt God calling him to California. And he moved to California, and he spent the last 25 years of his ministry time pastoring in Los Angeles, in the suburbs of Los Angeles. Four sons. He walked through his difficulty with his boys. And he walked through some really tough times. Evelyn and I were pastoring in Godrich. And I'll never forget, I found out the news as my mom called me and said, sad news. 
your cousin Ken has been killed in a motorcycle accident. And Ken loved to race cars and loved to drive motorcycles. And he was out one day driving his motorcycle and, and he was killed. And tragic. I, I can't imagine what it would be like to go through that. I can remember conversing with my Uncle John as a young minister trying to comfort this man who's much older than me, but realizing that his heart was broken. And we fast forward, and I can't share with you all these details because it wouldn't be right for me to do this. But probably one of the greater things that he walked through along with the death of one boy is one of his sons, one of my cousin, who made some horrible life mistakes. But today he's in jail, and he'll probably spend the rest of his life behind bars in jail. How do you, as a parent, cope with the unexpected death of your son? And your other son is in jail. I can't imagine. And then he retired, and he wasn't retired long. It was only months. And they moved to the coast, and they're in the condo, and they're retired. And got up that morning, and my Aunt Barb, who comes from Peterborough, Ontario, literally dropped dead in the condo. And now his wife is gone, and he's stepping into his retirement years. And his one son is passed away, and his other son is in jail. How do you face it? Uncle John's in heaven. But if he was standing on this platform right now sharing a story, he'd say, I'll tell you how I face it. With Jesus. How many people know Jesus can help you in your most difficult times of life? I said, how many people know Jesus can help you in your most difficult times of life? You see, you will walk through things. God will give you more than you can handle, but he will never give you more than he can handle. It may not make sense. It may not seem fair. Life isn't fair, but God is good. Life may not be good, but God is good all the time. Come on, Woodville. Give a clap offering of praise to our almighty God. Our almighty God. Our almighty God. My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Number one, Gethsemane is the place of support. Two, the place of sorrow. Three, the place of solitude. Four, the place of struggle. Then there's number five. It's the place of submission. It's the place of surrender. It's the place where you say, God, I give this over to you. And Jesus did. He said in verse 39, yet, yet not as I will, but as you will. Father, Abba, Daddy, not my will, but your will. Look at verse 40. He returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said, couldn't you man keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. I always read that and go, Peter's probably going, why are you pointing me out? These guys were sleeping too. Why am I the one in trouble? <laughs> Could you keep watching me for one hour? He asked Peter. Verse 41, watch and pray so that you would not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. You see, church, sometimes the reason why we hang our hat on God won't give you more than you can handle is because we think of a verse in 1 Corinthians 10, which is not about trials, but it's about temptation. And, and the scripture says that God won't give you more than you can bear in the realm of temptation, and he'll always give you a way out. And Jesus says to the boys here, watch and pray so you not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. My spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. 42, he went away a second time, prayed, 
And this time he said, my father, if it's not possible for the cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Verse 43, he comes back again and he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and he prayed the third time saying the same thing. Church, when you go through something that's bigger than you and it doesn't seem fair, surrender it to God, lean in on God. Surrender to God. God, I don't like this, but I'm surrendering to you. Number one, Gethsemane, the place of support. Two, the place of sorrow. Three, the place of solitude. Four, the place of struggle. Five, the place of surrender or submission. But then there's number six. It's the place of strength. And in verse 45, 46, he returned to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise! Let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Jesus gets up and he begins to walk into the Passion Week. Dr. Luke, in his book, gives us a clue that Matthew doesn't bring up. And it's found in Luke 22, verse 43. I want to read this verse to you in our final moments. But in Luke 22, in verse 43, Luke tells us something happened when Jesus was praying. And he says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. What did the angel do? I don't know. Did the angel put his hand on his back? Maybe. Did the angel pray for him? Maybe. I I don't know what the angel did, but we know the result of what the angel did was that the angel gave him strength. Now, I speak firsthand, and I say this very transparently, that every time I get alone with God, he gives me strength. I need to start my day in the solitude of prayer. And when I don't, the day never goes well. But when I do, the day goes well. I need to spend time alone with God and have him give me strength. And you will discover in your difficult, dark, Gethsemane, crushing moment that even though the world is pressing in on you, even though stuff is happening, even though it's not going the way you want, you have a strength and a peace from God that sustains you and keeps you. Now, church, we're completing 21 days of prayer. And Pastor Marvin said it well, it's going to be epic tonight. I'm believing that this lower level will be jam-packed. Church, look at me. When you fast and pray, do not be surprised that the devil will come at you. I don't know about you, but Evelyn and I have seen moments in the last 21 days where it feels like all hell is letting loose. It's It's like the floodgates of hell are opening up. But then God reminds me in my prayer time, he is for me. He's not against me. The devil is not running my life. God is running my life. God is running my life. The devil's trying to destroy your marriage, but we're praying for victory in marriage. Amen. The devil is fighting for your children and your grandchildren, but we're claiming our children and our grandchildren for Jesus Christ. The devil wants your health to be destroyed, but we're praying for a breakthrough of healing in the name of the Lord. We are believing that the windows of heaven would open over this place, that God Almighty would heal the sick. God Almighty would raise dead 
dead marriages to life. God would bring breakthrough like we have never experienced before. I declare over this place, this house will be a house of miracles. This house will be a house of miracles. Father God, we bow our heads. And I'm asking Almighty God that as we come to a time of ministry and prayer, that the windows of heaven would open over this place. I pray that there would be a sovereign, divine move of God in this place. I pray that this place would be a house of miracles. I pray that sick bodies would be healed in the name of Jesus. I pray that cancerous tumors would be gone in the name of Jesus. I pray that that we would see signs and wonders this morning and tonight. I pray, God, that we would see breakthrough in the name of the Lord. I thank you, God, that you never leave us. I thank you, God, that you never forsake us. And I'm asking God that she would do something great and mighty in this place this morning. We give you glory. We give you praise. We give you honor. We give you thanks. In the name, in the name, in the name of Jesus. I want you to stand to your feet all across this place. How many people have noticed we've had bad weather three Sundays in a row? How many people know that's a pastor's nightmare? It stresses me out. And Evelyn looks at me and says, Mark, I know you know this. It's not your church. It's God's church. I feel the spirit of the living God saying to me to say to this house, this day, is divine appointment. Some of you had to shovel out. Some of you had to drive through some nasty weather to get here today. Some of you had every reason not to be here today. But you're in the house. And I feel the Lord wants me to say, God is in the house this morning. One day, David picked up five smooth stones. Little Davy. Saul wanted him to wear the armor, and he said, I'm not comfortable with that. I just want to take what I'm comfortable with. He took five smooth stones, but more than the stone, he took God with him. And he took that stone, he put it in the slingshot, and big old Goliath came down. How many people would love to see giants come down in this place today? Just lift your hands to the heavens. God, I believe I've been faithful to preach what you've asked me to preach today. And now I pray in the name of the Lord that you would fully, 100%, take over this service. Do whatever you want, God. I pray that giants will come down. 
I pray mountains would be gone in the name of Jesus. I pray people who have been walking through physical stuff for way too long would be healed this morning in the name of Jesus. I pray in the name of the Lord that that the mental health issues would break. Anxiety would be gone. Stomach disorders would be healed. I pray cancerous tumors would be gone. I pray breakthrough in the mighty, holy name of Jesus. So God, we declare this house a house of miracles. In the name of Jesus. I feel we need to give a shout of praise right now. Come on, give a shout of praise. Give a shout of praise. Give a shout of praise. I'm sick and tired of the devil fighting families. You got a choice this morning. Some of you have walked in with a heaviness, with a weight, with a mountain, with a problem, with an issue. It's bigger than you can handle. You, you can walk out with it. Or you can walk out leaving it here in the name of the Lord. We're, we're going to believe today that giants are going to come down. I said we're going to believe today giants are going to come down. Giants are going to come down. Pastor, we, you were leading us in worship and I don't know if you remember saying this, but you said prophesy. This is a move. Not there will be a move. This is a move. There's an anointing on this song, and, 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 and you, you know it, and I want you to start leading it. And I, want you, I want you to start leading it. And I, I'm, just, I, I'm just praying that the windows of heaven are just going to break open over this place. And, and I don't know if this is going to make sense to you, but there's an anointing of God in this house today for the supernatural. I just, I just feel in my heart that God is saying to the church, you come, open your heart, and he's going to do the miracle in this place today. So what's your giant? What's your mountain? What, what is it that you're walking through? I, I can't handle this. You don't have to handle it. Give it to God. Let him handle it. I said, you don't have to handle it. Give it to God. Let him handle it. So... We could just sing a little song here and go, that was really nice. We could sing a song and make a declaration in this place today. And Pastor Brad, I don't want us to sing a little song. I want us to sing a declaration. And I'm just going to pray that I'm just going to walk away. And you want to come to the front. You want to receive a miracle from God. This is Breakthrough Sunday. Everybody say the word breakthrough. One, two, three. Breakthrough. Come on, everybody say breakthrough. One, two, three. Breakthrough. Now, the one who brings the breakthrough is Jesus. Can we say his name as loud as we can? Come on, one, two, three. Jesus. Come on, I want you to say it again. I I want you to say as loud as you can because there's power. There's power in the name of Jesus. He's my sweet rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. He's the alpha, the omega. He's the beginning, the end. He's my healer, my savior, my baptizer. He's my soon coming king. I'm here to declare to you there's nothing like the name of Jesus. And there's power in the name of Jesus. So I want you as loud as you can, from youngest to eldest, from front to back. You're watching on live streaming. Get off the couch. Get on your feet. Lift up your hands. And I want us, church, to lift up our hands and shout the name Jesus. Come on. One, two, three. Jesus. Come on, Woodfell. Say it again as loud as you can. One, two, three. Jesus. Put your hands together and give a loud clap offering of praise to the Lord God Almighty.
Are you ready? Jesus, would there be healing in this house this morning? Healings over bodies, healing over minds. Breakthrough in homes. I pray, God, that we would bring our burden here, leave it here, walk out free in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You need a miracle. Come on. 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 Flood this altar right now. You need a miracle. Come on. Come on. God is in the house this morning. I believe this is divine appointment. I believe this is God moment. No snow stopped you from being here today. This is God moment today. Come on, Brad. Lead us away. Oh, mountains are still being Strongholds are still being loosed. Oh, God, we believe. Yes, we can see it. The wonders are still Giants are still being slain. 